0: Let's bow for a word of prayer. Good and gracious King, we are thankful for uh, just how good you are and how gracious you are to us. Uh, That uh, in love you reach down and you sent your son Jesus Christ so that we may see our need of a savior. To know that you are holy and we are sinful and in need of a savior and lord as we open up your word this morning we ask that your spirit would uh, speak uh, not only to our hearts and our souls but uh, that he would help us to engage our minds to be able to take in the truths that we will look at today uh, that even as we begin to understand what we would consider the deeper things of god uh, the meat of the word lord i pray that you your spirit would guide each and every one here this morning and those listening online as well. In Jesus' name, amen. As you know, we've been going through the book of Ephesians, and uh, today uh, we're going to take a look at uh, a phrase in verse 4. Uh, but before we do, uh, just to lay the groundwork and to remind you of uh, the key points in the last two sermons, because I told you they were foundational to us understanding and being able to embrace the truth that we're going to take a look at today. Uh, and so by way of review, uh, we have, have established two things over the last um, couple of sermons. The first is, is we established, that God is holy. Uh, you just finished singing about that uh, in the song. Uh, holy, holy, holy. Uh, is uh is god Uh, and as we took a look at the hebrew root word for holy uh, we remember it means to cut or to separate and so when we think about the holiness of god and we think about ourselves before god we must remember that god is wholly separated from us Um, there is apart from god intervening in some way there is no mixing of that which is holy and that which is evil uh, because if there was an uh, ability for things to be mixed or to be combined, then we would not need a Savior. Uh, the, uh, having a Savior come, having the, the sinless Son of God come, uh, gives testimony to the fact that that which is holy cannot mix which, with that which is evil. Um, some of the things that we established was the fact that God is absolutely distinct from us, in that, He is thrice holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And not only is he absolutely distinct from us, but he is holy in everything which characterizes who he is. So every aspect of God, as you look at it through the word of God, you will see that holiness is what defines every attribute of God. And everything that he thinks, everything that he does is absolutely, without exception, holy. And God is absolutely separate from moral evil or sin because as we established, there are two separate kingdoms. Those kingdoms do not intertwine with one another. There's nothing to intertwine because that which is holy can uh, will uh, actually reveal impurity and sinfulness. It will show us for who we truly are apart from God. And man apart from God is a sinful individual but as we take a look at the holiness of god as it's revealed in the scriptures uh, his holiness is revealed in his attitude towards good and evil some things that we took a look at is the fact that he delights in all that is true worthy and upright he loves righteousness and justice he creates a holy people for himself and he hates those who worship other false gods because his holiness dictates all of those things. His holiness is what uh, is uh, the, the uh, uh, channel through which God does everything. So that means it's without error, that is 100% pure, and is always done uh, in a way that everything is good, as we sung, that he is a good and gracious king. So we've established that God is holy. The second thing that we establish is the fact that man is sinful. Last time we took a look at the question, is man really good? Uh, And we very quickly found out as we go to the one source of truth is that man is utterly lost, that he is sinful to his core. That uh, as we took a look at the doctrine of original sin, uh, original sin which comes through Adam uh, as a nature, but also we act on that nature by choice. We choose to sin. And that sin has brought physical, moral, and spiritual corruption into this world. When Adam and Eve fell, everything experienced uh, a result from that fall, even the creation itself. But see, there's no aspect of man's heart, his soul, his mind, or his strength that's not totally affected. So there is no goodness in man. Man is utterly sinful And he stands in the presence of holiness, which reveals that sinfulness. And see, when you begin to see God's holiness and you begin to see man for what he truly is, sinful to his core, that there is no aspect that is held back in relation to that sinfulness. There's not some little area somewhere hidden that you haven't found yet that you're going to reveal some goodness in man. It does not exist because man is sinful to his core. Matter of fact, the natural condition of man is that he has a deceitful heart full of evil things, that he is accustomed to doing evil, and that he is unable to accept spiritual things because he is spiritually dead, hostile toward God, having no fear of God. And those are the things that uh, we uh, you know, took a look at and things that we uh, established in relation to man's condition. So you have these two polar opposites on one hand, we have the eternal God who is holy, holy, holy. The one that you lifted your voice to today and gave testimony to the fact that he is that. Because it is true about God. He is holy, holy, holy. But on the other hand, you have man who is sinful to his core. And so when we take a look at these two opposite extremes, we, we have to you know take a look in relation to You know, does there is there any bridging of that gap between the two? You know, and which which side ends up coming to do the bridging? Uh, And important questions to ask, important questions uh, to actually have an answer to. But as we take a look at scripture, you will often find that there are uh, truths that can coexist that we, in our finiteness, in our ability to only see things partially. Because we are not the infinite God of all who is eternal, that we have a hard time rectifying. And today we're going to bridge a gap into one of those areas. And I ask as we we take a look at this particular area of scripture that you listen throughout the entire uh, amount of what I need to share with you uh, in these few moments that we've got, uh, which is approximately 10 minutes plus a few minutes maybe. But they are important for us to understand. And that brings us to um, verse 4, which actually I'd like to read verse 3 as uh, a contextual verse there. As we take a look at God's sovereign election, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Verse 4, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. And we're going to stop right there. As you remember, as we started to, um, you know, unpack this next section, which I told you, verses 3 through 14 is one complete, if you want to call it, run-on sentence. Uh, Because there's no punctuation, it's all one complete thought because it gives us God's sovereign plan of salvation from beginning to end. It helps us to understand what it is all about. And if you remember, I told you that these spiritual blessings that it talks about in verse 3 are the work of all three members of the Trinity. So this is not just God's plan You know, as God, the father, this is God's plan as God, the father, God, the son and God, the Holy Spirit, each one having a role, each one having a specific area of focus. And we know this first section is the focus of the father Uh, in verses three to six. He is the one who is the originator of this sovereign plan of salvation before the foundation of the world. Verses 6 through 12 tells us of the uh, the blessing of salvation, which becomes ours in the Son, which we'll be taking a look at in future weeks. And then verses 13 and 14, the blessing of salvation as it is realized through the Holy Spirit, because it is the Spirit which works within us to begin that work of regeneration, to begin the process of being born again, as the Scriptures tell us. So the blessing of salvation originates from the Father. Uh, it says there in verse 4, even as he chose us in him. So the thing that we're going to consider is those uh, five words, he chose us in him. Because see, this is the first spiritual blessing in Christ in heavenly places, is the fact that God uh, elected some for salvation. Uh, this, As we take a look at this, this is a truth that we find throughout the word of God. That God has sovereignly chosen or elected some people for salvation. Because it says there in verse 4, even as he chose us in him, that's in Christ, before the foundation of the world. So I'll take you to a couple of scriptures here this morning. This is not exhaustive in any way, shape, or form. But it gives you an idea. Because this truth is taught as part of the word of God. This is not something that man added. This is not something, as the, the authors pen that they slipped something in there that is not from God. Uh, we have to take God's word in its entirety, and this is a truth taught in the word of God. John six forty four a says that no one can come to me, uh, and that's Jesus, unless the Father who sent me draws him. Okay, so we have uh, the truth here is that no one can come to the Father. We know that, uh, you know, uh, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Well, here in John 6, 44, unless the Father draws, we won't come to him. And again, as you take a look at these two polar opposites, if man is dead, if man is sinful to his core, If there's none righteous, no, not one, there's none who seek after God, then how is man going to come from the kingdom of darkness and somehow bridge a gap to the kingdom of light? It's an impossibility. It will not happen. Man will not do that because man loves his sin. So something has to happen here in order for there to be a bridging of the gap. Because again, holiness and sinfulness cannot intertwine. Because if they could, we would not need a Savior. Jesus did not need to die. Titus chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, it says here, Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect, and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. And at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. So uh, Paul here, again, in in the book of Titus, is putting forth as one who is a servant and apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, for the sake of the faith of God's elect. So we have a little bit of different verbiage here than we find in Ephesians chapter 1. But it's interesting that this, you know, the the sake of the faith for God's elect and their knowledge of the truth. Well, what is the truth? The truth is, is that we are sinners in need of a savior. And so how does that, uh, you know, gap get bridged? you know, we we are those that are in hope of eternal life which god who never lies which it's interesting when phrases are put in there that seem as though they don't fit but yet speak profoundly and this is one of them is the fact that as you think about this and what is necessary for salvation and how salvation happens that it is god's sovereign act from beginning to end it's his power under salvation as it tells us that he's not telling you something that is not true. Because if there was some other way, then God does not need to communicate this truth. But there is no other way. He had to provide the way. He told us the truth and gave us the life in his son, Jesus Christ. And you'll notice here in Titus, it says, promise before the ages began. So again, we see this, you know, acting of the father, Something that originates with him before the ages, before time even began. Which I know sometimes even thinking about that just you know blows your mind. How can that possibly be? Remember, we are finite. We have a, a birth date and we have a death date. Our knowledge is limited. And we're talking about the God who is eternal, who is infinite in knowledge, and, and, and his understanding is unsearchable. So is there things that we're not going to quite understand or the things that we're not going to quite see or we're wanting to be different because we see things differently than God? Well, you know the answer to that question. The thing is, is we cannot look at salvation through any other lens but God's lens because God's not going to make any exceptions. He's not going to change because God does not change. He's perfect. He is holy, holy, holy. Another passage is 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. He says, But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So as you take a look, and these are just a sampling of the passages we could take a look at, it is not sinful man who of all of a sudden has taken an interest in the holy, holy, holy God. Because again, spiritually dead in the kingdom of darkness, loving sin, and living uh, and doing evil in all our ways. That's man. So we've got God on the other side who called you through the gospel, through his son Jesus Christ, even as he chose us in him, in Jesus, before the foundation of the world. So this truth is taught in the word of God. But the thing is, is as we take a look at this through human eyes, all of a sudden the red flags go up and and we're saying, "Well, well, wait a minute, Pastor Bill. Didn't I choose God? Didn't I make a decision for Christ? So what I want to do is I want to show you, because there's another truth that the Word of God puts forth that parallels and works simultaneously and together with the fact that God is the one who has sovereignly chosen or elected some people for salvation. See, man's will is not free in the sense that most people think in relation to spiritual things, because he is a slave to sin, And so if all that you know, if all that you do, if all the choices that you make are not good in the eyes of the holy, holy, holy God of all, then that's how you need to look at even everything in relation to salvation. Because what you're doing when you don't is you're giving power to man to be able to do things that man cannot do. If man could do it, then you do not need a savior. See, we need a savior because we can't do it. We don't want to do it. See, man is not free to choose righteousness apart from God's intervention. It is God that is bridging the gap. He is the one who sent his son. It is God who first loved us so that we could love. God is the initiator. It's not man because man wants nothing to do with God. And we we took a look at that in full extent as we talked last time, as we established that man is sinful. Maybe an easier way for you to understand this is to think about someone who is incarcerated. Now, I'm not going to have you raise your hands and tell me if you've been incarcerated before. But you know what? We all, and I just kind of just popped into my head this morning in the second service, It did in the first, is that we all kind of know what it means to be incarcerated, Because COVID has kind of incarcerated most of us for some time. The thing is, look at it this way through an illustration of a jail. The person who is in jail does have freedom. He has freedom to operate within that jail. Okay? In that jail cell, he can decide that he's going to lay on the floor or stand up or pace around or yell through the bars at the other guys that are in the jail. There is freedom there. But don't you see that it is bound by the jail itself? And until someone from the outside of that jail makes it possible for that person to be taken out of jail, they are stuck in that existence. And if you can think of that through a spiritual lens is that we are in a spiritual jail of sin. And we operate very well within that parameter, within that jail But the thing is, until someone from the outside comes in and frees us from that prison, which is Jesus Christ, God's son, who was sent for the purpose of offering himself as that sacrifice, we're stuck in that existence. So it's God who is doing the acting from without, because there's nothing from within that can be done. But if you take a look at the Bible, there's also a call to, oh, I went, went too far ahead here, yeah, there's also a call to the unsaved to repent and to come. Well, wait a minute, Pastor Bill, you, you said right here in Ephesians chapter 1, verses uh, verse 4, that even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, it is God who sovereignly chosen and elected some people for salvation, but we also have a parallel truth, which is taught in the word of God, that unsaved people are called to repent and to come, Matthew 3, 1 and 2. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So was John misspeaking when he was calling people to repentance, uh, not knowing that they are chosen by God before the foundation of the world? No, he was not. He was preparing the way for Jesus Christ to come. He was preparing the way for the Savior to come. And so when he was calling them to repent, to, as it were, see their sin, turn around from that sin, and go the opposite direction. That's what repentance is. It's no longer doing the things that characterize you because you have been made new because of Christ in you. John five thirty nine and 40, it says, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. So the scriptures tell us about Jesus. They tell us what is necessary for salvation. They tell us how God established salvation before the beginning of the world. That before the ages even began, he knew who would put their faith and trust in him. Because it is God who is initiating the contact. Sinful man cannot. It says in verse 40, yet you refuse to come to me that you may live. So you've got these two polar opposite truths that are working simultaneously. Because there is the truth that God has sovereignly chosen or elected some people for salvation. But there is also a call to the unsaved to repent and to come. So the question is, is how do those work together? Because the problem is we don't like something we can't figure out. And we want to reconcile everything we possibly can. If you're like me, when you want to reconcile your checkbook and you can't figure out where that five cents went until you go back and see that you typed it wrong in the calculator and it was your error to begin with, it drives you nuts because you want your, your checkbook to balance. And it's always better when you find money you didn't know you had. But the thing is, we, we want to reconcile things. And as we take a look at the scripture, there's actually one verse that contains both truths. So you can't tell me that one is seen over the other or that only one is true and one is not because it's God's word it is all truth. But John 6:37 says all that the father gives me okay there we go it's father the father sovereignly choosing you know electing some for salvation will come to me and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. There's the other side of it. So you've got those that oh, whoever comes So how is it that they have these two truths, you know, we we would say in our minds that, you know, we can't figure it out and we want them to, to rectify and we can't figure it out. Well, you know what? Look at it this way. It is God who has freed man's will in order to exercise faith and accept the free gift of salvation. Because man's will is only free apart from God to exist in that prison of sin. And there's other irreconcilable biblical truths. And the temptation is to focus on one of them at the expense of the other. Well, these are both truths. Can two things be true that we can't figure out how they go together? And can we credit it or chalk it up to the God who is infinite and knows more than we could ever possibly imagine? Other biblical mysteries would include uh, the fact that we have the incarnation. Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. How's that work? That's 200%. But yet he still was was fully God. Yes, some of his attributes were veiled so that he could walk the earth, but he was no less God in human form. He was 100% God, 100% man. You know what? It takes faith to believe that. I can't quite figure all of it out, but you know what? I don't need to. God understands it. The Trinity is another one. Three coexistent, co eternal persons who are God. How does that work? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, but one God. Inspiration of the Scriptures. It's God breathed yet penned by human beings. So that when the books were written, their, their own personal experience, their own style of writing was not lost. But at what point does that not become dictation? Okay. We, we, we have to, we take it at, at faith. We, we trust God in this. The other one is eternal life. You know, we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and we're given eternal life and we're sealed until the day of redemption. But yet we're called at the same time to be obedient and a persevere until the end. So how does that work? See, there's things that are parallel truths that somehow work together in a way that sometimes only God can understand. And guess what? That's okay. It's in the word of God, it is truth, and you know what? If God said it, I believe it, that settles it. It's finite individuals trying to understand the infinite. Let me read a quote from John MacArthur, because he speaks to this and it's pretty profound. He says, such inscrutable truths are an encouragement that the mind of God infinitely surpasses the mind of man. And are a great proof of divine authorship of scripture. Humans writing a Bible on their own would have attempted to resolve such problems. Because we can't have them coexist. Because we always want to resolve. We always want to balance the equation. But sometimes when it comes to the things that pertain to God and the mysteries that the scriptures speak to, there's things that only God will understand. And I I leave this verse with you because... I think it's a good thing for you to embrace when we're trying to balance out the fact that God has sovereignly chosen, elected some for salvation. At the same time, there's a call to the unsaved to repent and to come. It comes from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28. Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. It's okay to not be able to understand all of the nuances in relation to every single truth in the word of God. The spirit is still teaching you. I'm still learning each and every day. And I don't have to to balance the equation for something to be true. And both of these truths are simultaneously true. And we believe the Lord Jesus. We believe God the Father and the Holy Spirit for the outcome. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, Lord, uh, today we've taken a a dive into the deep end of the pool. And sometimes when we dive into the deep end of the pool and the, the current is not the way we'd like it, we feel unsafe without floaties on our arms. And Lord, these are two truths that are truths nonetheless. And sometimes there's things in your word, Lord, which we don't fully understand, and that's because we don't know everything, and we don't have all understanding, and we don't have all wisdom, and that's okay, because we can trust the one who does, and that is you. So, Lord, I pray for each one here this morning that they would be able to see the power of uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, the power of him being the Redeemer and the Savior. That when we see ourselves as we are, as sinful individuals devoid of God and lost in our sins. That that amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Our words that as we sing them, we think and we understand just how great you are, God. And may we wish rest in that. Because it's okay. Because we have the spirit to continually teach us. And we don't need to know all the answers. Sometimes they're just God questions, and you'll show us one day when our faith has made sight. In Jesus' name, amen.